What's going on, everybody? Thanks for tuning in to the Holy City Hoops podcast. Our College of Charleston Cougars. Boy, do they keep things interesting. Two big home games this past weekend. Big in terms of attendance. Big in terms of conference seeding here as we get closer to March. And I'm sure if you've opened up this podcast, you know what went down this weekend. Some very great moments and some not so great moments. We're going to chat about all of it today. My guest this week. Harrison Bown, former College of Charleston basketball player, friend of the program. We're going to talk William and Mary. We're going to talk Elon. We're going to talk about this monster game on Thursday at Hofstra on CBS Sports Network. If you like what you hear today, find us on social media at Holy City Hoops. That's easy to remember. Subscribe to this podcast on the podcast app of your choice or at HolyCityHoops.com. Holy City Hoops podcast. Let's get it. Harrison Bound is back on the program. HB, what's going on, man? How you doing today, man? I'm doing well. We uh we have some interesting games to talk about. Kind of the uh the highs and lows of being a College of Charleston basketball fan. <laughs> yeah, I think um, you know, Coach Grant's fa- favorite line and and he used it after the Elon game, the uh the joy of winning and the agony of defeat. It's uh none none truer of a statement than uh, this past week. Yeah. Where would you like to start? You want to start with the good or the bad? Uh, let's go ahead and get the good out of the way so we can focus on the bad a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> All um, right. So yeah. let's William and Mary game. I know you said you were there. You braved the the weather to get to TD Arena. You knew the importance of that game. <laughs> First place was on the line. Obviously, the rematch with William and Mary, uh, two teams that were undefeated earlier in the year. Nathan Knight had uh, Shaq like performance, uh, crazy game from him. If you had told me beforehand that he put up the numbers he did, Grant Riller was held at 10 points and we won by 18. I probably wouldn't have believed you, but that's what ended up happening. So what did you see out there? Yeah, it was kind of a crazy game. And I mean, from the get go, I think Nathan, and I had maybe 13 or 14 points in the first half and he was just absolutely dominating i mean he's a great ball player and he's a lot of fun to watch but you're exactly right i mean you you look back at the stat line he has 28 and 18 and you're just like wow how did we win that game with grant only having you know 10 points but um brevin obviously had an unbelievable game um you know going nine for 13 four for eight from the three-point line and and he's one of those guys when he gets hot and can give you you know 15 to 20 points in a game you almost feel like cfc's unbeatable um, and then our defense just, I thought, played really great um, defensively against everybody else. I mean, obviously, Nathan Knight got his, but you you go down the box score of everybody else, and nobody's got more than eight points. And so, to me, the the defensive focus of saying, hey, Nathan Knight can get whatever he wants in this game, that's fine. We're going to you know, defend him as best we can, but we know he's a stud, and he's probably going to go for 20-plus. But we're going to hold everybody else under, under double figures. Uh, I think was probably their game plan. It seemed to be their game plan, and it, and it worked out well. It was kind of a throwback to, I thought, of some of those early Earl Grant teams that would try to hold you under 60 and, and grind it out. And I remember when uh, when William & Mary had all those shooters around Knight, Coach would just put Nick Harris or Jarrell on him and say, hey, Knight's going to play us one-on-one, but we're not going to let these guys on the perimeter beat us. And it was almost a seemed like a throwback to that Um and in William and Mary at Williamsburg, all those guards, they went on that 10 or 12 run at the end of the first half. And I felt like that really hurt Charleston. But in this game, yeah, you just said it. Nobody else but Knight was beating us. And all those players combined did not even outscore Brevin Galloway, who picked a great time to have a career high in points. 
Yeah, that was a, a huge game from him. And you're exactly right with the the throwback to the kind of the older, the beginning Earl Grant days. Um, and that's kind of what I've said all year to some people when we watch the games. Is it's like I felt like we were a, a much better defensive team the last couple of years, and it feels like this year. We're better offensively, I think, but we don't necessarily lock down opponents the way we have in the past. It's not that we're bad defensively. I'm just so used to us trying to hold people under 60 and doing it most of the time. Um, but this was definitely a throwback type, you know, grinded out game where we pretty much, you know, let Nathan Knight get what he was going to get and really focused on shutting down everybody else. I kind of thought the the Andy Van Vliet technical was a bit of a turning point when he I, I couldn't see on the broadcast he either slammed the ball on the, on the court and it went up or he threw it or something yeah it was a it was a really weird play he just like he got called for the traveler or whatever it was and then he just threw it straight up in the air which is I've, i don't think i've ever seen a player just toss the ball up in the air like he did <laughs> i've seen people slam the ball but it was just kind of a weird toss up straight in the air and then he was obviously shocked to get a technical for that um but uh, it was a weird play, but definitely a turning point. You know, it was kind of back and forth there to begin the second half, and then that happens, and it's uh, it kind of changed the entire uh, last last half of the game. The the mental jujitsu for Sam Miller to get a tech called on somebody else. I don't know. <laughs> I, I I love seeing that. He, I, he somehow he got inside Andy Van Vliet's head. Yeah, I uh, I'm shocked that it wasn't Sam getting the tech, and I love Sam, <laughs> and I think he brings a great dimension to this team. But uh, if you if I was a betting man, you had to tell me that one of those guys was getting the tech in that game. All my money would be on <laughs> Sam. Yeah, well, yeah, no, it 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 opened up after that. Uh, eventually, we get to that run where Galloway hits a three. I think Brendan Tucker hits that three to put Charleston up ten. And someone tweeted out, I think it was Joe Wright. William and Mary only scored five points over the final, what, 11 minutes or so, 11 minutes and change. So really, really just put the clamps down. And once he stopped scoring, I don't know what other options William and Mary had. Yeah, I mean, they've got a good team. They really do. But like you said, once you really, you know, put the clamps down on him, it's like, where do you go from there? Because none of those other guys are going to kind of put the team on their back and carry you to a win. And, and the way that we were locking down um, – and not allowing them to get open looks at the three and everything. I mean, the second half, they went one for nine from the three-point line. Um, It's just impressive, and nine for 25 overall. So um, our defense in that second half was was really impressive, and it allowed us to kind of get out and run, which is where we obviously play best. And if you go down and look at that that box score for CFC, we we had guys just playing great overall games. You know, everybody contributed in, in some way or another. I love the energy too. I think it was in the opening minutes. Zepp Jasper dives and and gets the the timeout on that loose ball, and then the Tucker three came off D'Angelo Epps' uh, offensive rebound. So maybe the first time or one of the times this season where Charleston has like really seemed high energy, motivated, like really locked in from the get go. There's no early game uh, kind of snooze. Uh, Galloway hits that three early. There was a little bit of a, a lull coming out of the halftime, I remember. But overall, I thought the energy and, and effort level was noticeably higher than, than usual. I, yeah, I totally agree. I mean, they um, they came out like they were a team that had something to prove, you know. And obviously, you know, it's, it's a game for first place, so you're going to get up for that. But they definitely came out with probably more energy than I've seen them play with all year. You know, like you said, diving on the floor, getting after it, getting stops, 
the crowd was obviously great and that that helps when you're at home to to play with that energy it definitely comes a little more naturally and a little bit easier but um they they were definitely playing with a different kind of chip on their shoulder and it was exciting to see and, and wish we could have seen that same energy a little bit more on uh saturday versus Elon. <laughs> I was about to say, we are just setting ourselves up for this. <laughs> <laughs> the energy was so good. The home crowd was so good. Uh, uh, any, anything else on William & Mary before we move on? Uh, just a great game overall. Um, the fans and that atmosphere was exceptional. And uh, uh, that, was, that was, you know, regardless of what happened on Saturday, that was still a huge game for us. Um, and then for the William & Mary to go and, and lose one to UNCW, that helps us out yeah. as well. So. Um, that that was a huge win on Thursday night, for sure. Now I was texting some friends before the Elon game, and I said the Cougars are probably feeling really good right now, as they should be. So they're either going to blow out Elon, or they're going to lose. They're not going. It's not going to be a normal game. I just had a feeling after the UNCW game that something something was going to happen. They're either either going to overlook Elon or be really locked in from the jump and, and cruise. Unfortunately, we know how it went. Um, wh- same thing, just right off the bat, you were there. What was kind of your diagnosis? Yeah, you know, I thought the, um, obviously Elon kind of got off to a, a quick start. I think they got up like seven to two or five to two, something like that, but they looked good from the jump. Um, but we, you know, we stuck in there, kind of battled with them back and forth. I thought down the stretch at the end of the first half, um, I thought we made some really big plays. Um, Grant had had an and one that cut the lead from a 13 point lead to a 10 point lead. And then Brevin had a three that cut the lead. And then Zep had a three that cut the lead and to go down in the half, you know, down two after being down 13 at one point, I, I thought was, was huge. And you felt like the momentum was starting to, to shift. The, the atmosphere was great. Those jerseys were best jerseys I've ever seen. I think we so dope. switched to those full time. Yeah. Um, but we definitely came out. I felt like a little flat, um, and almost like it, it was one of those games where you just kind of were waiting for CFC to kind of really flip it on, take that lead, get up, you know, 10 or 12, extend it, and then just, just go away with it. And you just kept kind of waiting for that moment, and it, it obviously never came. And, and credit to Elon, it felt like every time that we made a run or, you know, in the second half took that lead for, for it felt like a split second. They always hit big threes or, or got to the free throw line. They, they just kind of executed down the stretch when they had to. Yeah, I, I agree. Um, never really seemed like the Cougars were in rhythm. I, d- I didn't see the same type of energy from the jump that we did against William and Mary and the team just never, never to me really looked comfortable. I mean, even when they were trying to, to mount that comeback at the end, you had Riller going like one on four. You had Jalen Richard take a jump shot with his heels on the on the arc. A uh, couple ill-advised shots, a couple missed assignments on defense. And yeah, I think saying that they never found that switch, never flipped that switch is is accurate because it reminded me of that Towson game at Towson where Charleston was down 12 early, cuts it to whatever it was at the half and then uses that momentum. But after we came back... Um, Marcus Sheffield and, and Elon just had an answer for everything. And I never felt like Charleston was really within striking distance from maybe 15 minutes left in the game on. Yeah, no, I, I totally agree. I thought that, you know, we came out in the second half and looked, you know, Brevin had that, that great three, took the lead. Grant makes another three, go up 38, 34. And then it was just kind of like after that, it, it kind of felt like 
you knew from that point on we were going to lose the game. It was just a weird. It was just a weird feeling. It felt like Elon was making all the plays, was playing harder. Um, obviously, Sheffield had himself uh, an incredible night, um, and then Simon Wright for them hit hit uh, hit some bigger shots down the down the stretch. But um, it, it was a weird weird game. The energy definitely wasn't there, and uh, and like you said, it just it felt like the Cougars were never really comfortable and never really flip that switch which i feel like with teams like elon i mean they're well coached they've got nothing to lose you know they've they've started to kind of play better down the stretch you can't let teams like that hang around or get a lead on you because what ends up happening is exactly what happened in that game where it turns into late in the second half and all of a sudden you're down eight nine ten points and you're you're not able to come back on them um so that was uh it was definitely a weird game i kind of had the same feeling as you going into it that i felt like we might lose it for some reason um but they really just uh, kind of blew a chance to really take a hold of the the conference. I think we both agree that the effort level wasn't there. Is that something that falls on the coaching staff? Is that something that needs to be coached up? Or is that on the players? Or was it not even as much of an effort thing as like a scheme thing or like an in-game adjustments type thing? I always think it kind of falls a little bit on everybody, you know, that nobody's kind of innocent of it. Um, even to the guys that don't play, I mean, you, you still have a job to to bring energy on the bench. You still have that job to make sure that the guys are prepared and that you're bringing energy in everything that you do. Um, and kind of like you tweeted out, you know, feels like every time we have a big game and we have like this awesome marketing uh, promotion going on, we have these great throwback uniforms. It's the basketball alumni game with all the old players and it feels like every time we have a game like that, we kind of have this letdown. Um, and it's been been weird this year that that's been the case. But um, I think it's a little bit of everything. Um, I don't necessarily think the scheme was awful. Uh, obviously, our offense doesn't didn't look great. Um, a couple of those guys got into double figures, you know, really late in the game when we were trying to mount in a comeback. Um, mm-hmm. And obviously, you know, a guy like Marcus Sheffield goes off for thirty one points. That, that's tough to overcome. Um, obviously, you know, you look at the, the William and Mary game and, and Knight has 28, but everybody else was under eight points. And you look at the Elon stat sheet and it's 10, eight, 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 six, you know, you get guys like that um, giving a little bit of contribution and a guy going for 31 and 11 of them are from the free throw line. Uh, it, it's just tough to, to overcome that. Yeah. Uh, so Charleston has home losses this season to the seventh, eighth, and ninth place teams in CA hoops. Northeastern, I don't think anybody's expecting them to to finish in seventh or eighth or whatever they're in now. But still, I mean, I, I thought the UNCW game would be such a wake up call. And in that game, it became painfully clear that the strategy to beat CFC is double or triple Grant Riller and laugh as the rest of the team just clanks shots now. This game wasn't that obvious, but I, I still don't know what the team's offensive identity is, really. It's a lot of ball screens. It's a lot of watch Grant Riller go to work, but it seems like, you know, the bigs in this game struggled outside of OC, who we should highlight had a had a great game, a double-double off the bench, but just didn't, especially late, it seemed like the ball wasn't really moving, and it was just hair-pulling out frustrating for me as a fan to, to see that after things look so crisp in that William and Mary game. No, I, I totally agree. And I think if you go back and look at 
you know, those losses in conference play to the, the, you know, seventh, eighth and ninth place teams. And then also in non-conference play, most of these losses happen when it's kind of Grant having to go one on four or one on five because nobody else is really doing anything. Um, and people aren't hitting shots and they're obviously the defense is focusing in on Grant and Grant still had a pretty good game. Um, you know, I mean, what was it 26 points, I think, or something like that. Mm-hmm. So, yep. you know, Grant still had a good game, but you, you look at the rest of the stat sheet and there's just too many guys that kind of have no stats. You know, you look at, I think there's like five the whole guys. bench, the yeah, whole bench outside of OC. Basically five guys that played that, you know, maybe only had like one rebound or one block and that was it. And, you know, you're not always going to be the guy that scores 10 or 12 points, but you've got to be a guy that can get, you know, a layup here and there, or you go out there and you get five or six rebounds or an assist or two or a couple blocks or a couple steals. And you look at the, the stat sheet and it's just zeros all the way across. And, you know, these guys are too good to, to not have some type of impact on a game, especially if you're playing, you know, 10 plus minutes, you've, you've got to do something, you know, there's got to be something that you're doing to, to contribute. Um, and it just, I agree with you. It does feel like we just don't really have an offensive identity at times that if Brevin's not hitting threes um, or if Sam and, and Jalen aren't given, you know, that little bit, you know, if Zepp's not hitting a three or two, it feels like it's just kind of this stagnant stand around. And, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. if they miss shots, then we're kind of done for. So it's, I definitely think there's some stuff that needs to be cleaned up. Um going into the rest of the conference play and especially in the tournament. Um, but I think we've kind of said all along that this team isn't necessarily a, a great shooting team, but if we yeah. get hot, we can be really, really good. Coach Grant post game was, was calling it out as sort of a, a missing good shots kind of deal, which is how he summarized the UNCW game. And he gave credit to Elon multiple times. I mean, that's kind of his standard uh, go-to in, in press conferences, but uh I he he was almost acting like he obviously called out the game winning type plays that Elon made. No disagreements here, but uh, he called out the two fouls on the Simon Wright when he was shooting those threes late. And it's all I felt like the game was was almost over before that. Uh, I didn't think those swung the game. That was almost in garbage time. So I, I know Coach Grant's not going to call out individual players and stuff, but I know some folks were kind of irked that the energy level wasn't where it should have been. We've already touched on that. Yeah. I mean, it, it, it's tough. I, I agree. I don't think that those fouls really change the game. Like you said, they were so late and it kind of felt like the game was already over. Um, you know, when we, when we got down, what was it? Nine or 10 with like seven, eight minutes left, it just kind of felt like it was like, you weren't expecting us to make a comeback because the energy just wasn't there. The guys weren't really executing. It wasn't like we were getting, stop after stop like the Wayman Mary game where you're kind of pulling away and um you know the, uh, it was it was just a weird game kind of like that UNCW game um yeah. it was a weird game that you you hope only happens once a year and then when it happens kind of for the second or third time yeah. you, you kind of start to scratch your head and say okay well what's what's the issue here you know why are we coming out flat like this is it like you said is it a scheme issue is it you know a lineup issue what is it but it, it's especially weird after you come off such a big game where you look so good versus William and Mary. Um, it, it's just a bit of a head scratcher. And for whatever reason, this team seems to play a little bit better on the road than they do at home. I mean, here's the thing. It was a sellout game, which is not because of the opponents. That is fully the sports marketing department getting a sellout for that game. There's no one is coming to see Elon. Maybe 
a few more people than would come to see Northeastern. It's, I believe, the biggest crowd of Coach Grant's tenure. I think it's the first sellout since like 2012. Yeah. Um, 10th biggest crowd at the school. You're playing a four win Elon team. You cannot lose this game. That is what is so frustrating. You're in first place. You're playing this bottom feeder. You have the best player in the conference. You have a team with three seniors in the starting lineup and a redshirt junior. You, you have to figure out some way to pull this out. I don't know if it's the coaching staff pulling certain levers. I don't know if you have to pull Zach Rabinowitz off the bench to hit a three or pull put you in for, for a couple minutes at center. I don't know. You have you just have to win this game. And we saw like the meltdown on, on Twitter from the fans afterward, uh, you and I included, who I think we both had some adult beverages afterward. But it <laughs> no, was just I, it was so frustrating. No, I, I agree. And that's... Um... You know, it's funny you mentioned pulling like a guy like Zach off the bench. That's something that you've probably seen Roy Williams do a number of times when the guys just clearly don't have energy and are, are playing a bottom feeder. And it's like, you know, why are you out here losing to a terrible Wake Forest team or whoever it may be that year? And you'll see them pull, you know, four or five guys off the bench who never play and just throw them in and say, okay, here's your chance, you know, come out here and play with some energy and let's see what you, you know, can do. And you almost felt like it needed to happen um at, at one point in the second half of the game or even in the first half you kind of just were like okay you know what like maybe just pull all five guys throw in five guys that want to play and see how they do and just start rotating five and five every time um yeah but it was it was a weird game where you know oddly we were kind of in it the whole time but obviously the atmosphere and the attitude and the kind of the mood that you could see the team playing with felt like we were down by 20 the whole time um so it was it was definitely just kind of a weird game um I hope we don't see any more like that, but after having Wilmington and then this, uh, you worry. Um, but uh, it, it, it you, I agree. It's it's one of those games you just can't lose. You just you got to find a way to win it. Even if you're grinding it out, you just have to find a way to win that game. Well, here's what Charleston has set themselves up for. Uh, the game on Thursday up in New York at Hofstra. Nationally televised game. It's going to be a, another game on CBS Sports. Charleston can move right back into first with a win. And you have the sweep over Hofstra, which would be huge for potential tiebreaker scenarios. Hofstra still has five games left to play. Charleston only has four. But you also have to play at UNCW, a team that's already beat you at home. You have to play at Northeastern, a team that's already beaten you in Charleston. And then those last two games of the season, uh, Drexel and Delaware are probably going to be fighting for uh, somewhere in the conference seating. So you have to start by winning this game on Thursday uh, if you want to finish as the number one seed. Yeah, th- this this whole trip coming up um, at Hofstra and at Northeastern, obviously it's been one of the tougher ones, you know, in the CFC history in the CAA. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah. And even, I, you know, even my first year in the CAA, I think Hofstra was like the worst place team in the conference. Uh, their coach had just taken over, and we went in there and, and kind of played like the Zeelon game, had no energy, you know, couldn't get up for the game, and, and they absolutely, you know, floored us, and they were the, by far the worst team in the conference at that point. Um, and so it's always a tough game. Hofstra is kind of a weird environment because typically they don't have a great atmosphere at the game. Um, and you're out in Long Island and everything. And so, you know, I hope that the guys can get up for that being that it's for first place again and a nationally televised game. Um, and then obviously at Northeastern, Northeastern's an extremely talented team. I think we'd all agree that they're better than what their record and, and standing is. And they have, yeah. you know, arguably one of the best coaches in the conference. I mean, he seems to always kind of reload and have them in the mix of things. Um, 
so this this weekend to me kind of determines it all. Um, you you've got to come away with two wins here. Obviously, at, at UNCW is going to be tough. They're playing way better than they did early in the year under Coach Burke. Yeah. Um, and then Delaware and Drexler, nothing to be laughed at. I mean, I think Delaware's sitting at what third or fourth place right now, and and it'll be a fight for uh, it'll be a fight for for conference positioning, like you said. And and the big thing too for CFC is you know you want to run the table and win out. That way, hopefully, you're the only you know there's no tie for first, and that you're in first by yourself, and that no matter what, you get that NIT bid, which is still a big deal. So. Um, you know, I hope the guys realize that, you know, sure there's pressure, you know, down the stretch, but this is a great opportunity to, to get hot at the right time going into the conference tournament, but also make a statement, you know, win the conference and secure yourself postseason play. Yeah. You mentioned Delaware. Um, this is, this is what happens when you, you drop those close games rather than being a game or two up in the CAA. Charleston can move into first with a win. They're only a game out of sixth place so there's a lot of teams nipping at their heels delaware william and mary drexel northeastern that if charleston drops a game here they could very easily fall into the the middle of the pecking order which is not where you want to be yeah i mean the the, yeah the last thing you want to be is in that position where you're having to go through the you know the two and three seeds or even have to play the one seed you know to uh to get your chance at going to the conference tournament i mean that that one seed is so important to give yourself that easier path uh to the championship i mean everybody in the caa is dangerous uh we've kind of proven that by losing to the two last place (laughs) but um it it really is i mean everybody in this conference is is good enough to win or lose on any given night and there's good coaches and good players throughout the entire conference um and so the, this team really needs to to make sure that they are ready to get up and play and, and realize that it's a challenge in front of them, but it's also a great opportunity um, to go finish first place in, like I said, in the conference, secure NIT bid uh, and not, like you said, end up at a, a four, five or six seed, you know, and, and having to really battle your way, you know, into a championship game and, and having to make sure that you hit shots on three straight days, which is, is tough to do, so. Uh, it, it's definitely a, a huge stretch coming up for the Cougars. Um, I know it'll, it'll start Thursday night on, on CBS Sports Network. They still control their own destiny. That's the, the luxury that they do have. Win out and you're, you don't have to do anything else. Win in, you're in. Yeah. Um, that's you don't have best. to do any scoreboard watching. Exactly. And that's, that's the best part. That's why it's so great is it's, you know, it's basically, you know, all these games lead up to your, your opportunity to, to win a conference, you know, cut down the nets. Um, I mean, how great would that be to play Drexel on senior night at home and be able to win, cut yeah. down the nets, celebrate a CAA championship, you know, second, third, and three years, um, and, and know that, hey, we're the one seed going into the tournament and we've secured ourselves postseason play no matter what. So um, that would be an awesome, awesome memory for those players and the fans and everything. And, and I hope that, that's the case and hopefully we'll get a talk again here at the end of end of february beginning of march and, and that's what we're celebrating and we're laughing about the sky falling after an elon game yeah well he, this is what being a college of charleston basketball fan is is <laughs> the sky is falling right now and then they're going to win on thursday and we'll all be right back right back at it exactly exactly Things will be uh, nice and rosy then it, it's mid-major madness is what it is um yeah but uh, it, it is the, the cardiac Cougs, I guess, hold true to their name. And, uh, you know, I thought I was stressed as a player, but I'm, I think I'm losing more hair and becoming more stressed as a fan. So 
I just want one of these years for us to just like run the table in the conference and, you know, win it in like mid January. That'd be amazing. There's, I mean, there's no one in this conference right now who's getting any sort of at large. It's, it's wide open as we see from the bottom up, but uh, it's, it's right there for the taking. So if Charleston can win out to see the confetti fall on Grant Riller's final home game, I mean, yeah, that would be awesome. And I, and I think they've got a great shot at it. You know, I mean, obviously we've, we've just touched on kind of all the negatives from the Elon game, but this team's talented and, um, you know, guys like Grant Riller aren't on every ball team in, in the CAA. Um, and I think if we just get hot and guys contribute and our, and our defense is good and we kind of get out and run, um, I don't think there's any team as, as dangerous as us in the, in the Colonial right now. Well, I'm, I'm hoping for energy, effort, execution on uh on thursday we'll be watching absolutely no i'm i'm excited uh unfortunately i don't get cbs sports network so i gotta find somewhere to watch it maybe uh uptown social or whatever since that's what the uh, marketing department always plugs so um we'll go watch it somewhere but i'm, I'm excited to watch them and uh it, it's a big game I'm, I'm pumped up for it yeah yeah it should be a good one harrison thanks for stopping by man i'll let you go and uh, we'll just leave it with Go Cougs. Sounds good. Thanks for your time, man.